Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in to AOA. Today, we appreciate you making us a part of your day. We're going to talk through several issues that are moving in the ag industry today. First and foremost, we're seeing a sell-off here in the grain complex. We're going to talk with Joe Camp, analyst with Comstock Investments, about that move here in just a moment. And then in segment two, Josh Bathke from Farm Progress will be joining us. We've seen several big announcements from USDA over the past week. He's going to fill us in both on the organic funding that that program is bringing out and on their new scientific innovation framework. And then in segment three, we're going to turn the focus, you guessed it, back to the meat sector. Dr. Glenn Tonser, Kansas State University, will be joining us for his monthly update of the meat demand monitor and how consumers are reacting to these high prices for proteins. Before we get into all of that, however, let's talk with Joe Camp about what is happening here in the grain markets. And Joe, it is a red day on the screens today. Is this just planning ahead for tomorrow's supply and demand estimates? I think that's a big part of it. Some nervousness. We've seen these estimates coming in and starting out this year with uh, trend lines. So called uh, yield estimates that would represent records of 180 or higher for corn yield expected 52 bushels per acre on the soybean side that allows us to potentially rebuild some of these crop stocks after a, a, a few short years here and you know that's what we're looking for uh, corn ending stocks here for the new marketing year potentially up more than 50 percent soybeans higher by 35 percent if all goes well and for now that's a negative it is a negative. It's a negative for the trade, Joe. Are we getting close to that negative being priced in, though, at least ahead of the reports? That could be the case because we've seen this before, this sell off into the report and then go the other direction or vice versa. It fits with that sort of sell the rumor, buy the fact type reaction that we could be set up for heading into tomorrow. Because if we do indeed have those lofty yield estimates, we know that from here on out, we're working to try to achieve those and uh, we don't leave a lot of room for any weather hiccups. This time of year, Joe, on the May report, of course, the trade is hungry for information. Which categories on the report are you going to be watching for potentially the biggest shocks? First up, we're going to view those ending stocks estimates for the 2023-2024 marketing year because the May WASDE report is the first that includes that new crop balance sheet. And that tells us enough about not only ending stocks for this current marketing year, but then what the USDA analysts and how they view demand. And, and that's a big, you know, critical piece here, particularly exports, which are always moving at the margin. They've been negative as of late. We'll see if they're any more optimistic than the trade currently is about trade demand. Joe, on this May report, are we expecting the USDA to change the Brazil safrina crop uh, harvest numbers at all? I think at you know, 125 million metric tons pegged. Uh, we don't have a lot of uh, room to move. They generally fit with what we're seeing in terms of private trade estimates. We know that Brazil's got record crop potential. They've already uh, all but achieved that on a soybean harvest that's wrapping up. And now it's about the second safrina crop of corn, there's still time for some you know, damage to be done, some dry weather in the south to be concerned of, but not enough to maybe budge, move the needle at this point uh, in the year. All right, Joe, let's turn our focus over to soybeans because those are pretty well harvested down in South America. They're making their way onto the global scene. Prices are coming down. What's the outlook from your perspective here tomorrow? Well, we've definitely filled the pipeline down there, and we've seen that in terms of China and other big buyers leaning on the Brazilians to uh, chew that record crop. We know it's needed in a big way because the gains in what Brazil's produced this year just uh, offset the severe losses in Argentina after a severe drought year. And so we think that after we get past this initial gut slot of, of the export program down in South America, actually, we could see some better demand return to the U.S. later in the marketing year. And that's still indicative of what we're seeing in tight 
spreads a bullish basis for the most part and again some optimism that we'll be back to selling beans ahead because of uh, generally tight stocks even with the record brazilian crop all right could see things stay, stay stay tight it's all about keeping that demand up joe we could have some news events in the wheat market that may 18th deadline for the grain export corridor of the black sea is is back under discussion if it goes away could that be a bump to move this wheat market to the upside I think it could be, but we need to wait to see uh, Russian prices actually move higher. That's uh, been the true tell. And with all the news and the back and forth and uncertainty, we haven't really seen a rise in those cash grain prices that would maybe move some of that demand back into the U.S. But yeah, if the grain export deal ends, we're likely to see some retaliation or some extra risk premium enter into the mix so that we do have better demand to come in the coming several weeks or months. Joe, you know, we've talked as an industry quite a bit over the past several weeks about inflation, about bank weakness, these broad macroeconomic factors. How do you see them impacting grain prices as you go out over the next six weeks, eight weeks? The economic risk has to be the sort of caveat to what is otherwise still a generally bullish uh, outlook that we hold for grains because of still tight old crop stocks and what we would believe to still be some potential for weather risk premium to enter into the mix here this summer growing season. Beyond that, though, we know that there's a difference between demand for the physical and demand for futures. And if we're going to have a sell-off in the stocks or a rally in the dollar because of these ongoing recession worries, then it doesn't bode well for the grains in terms of speculators wanting to take a flyer and, and be a buyer of the commodity space. So that's a, a potential risk-off type scenario that we want to watch out for this summer. Joe, if the trade is thinking more about recession, or, or if managed money is thinking more about a recession, I've got to imagine one of the most attractive places to sell would be both live and feeder cattle. But are we seeing that managed money do that as of yet? We've seen some of that as of late uh, with the cattle complex coming off of recent highs for live cattle futures. That means coming off of record highs that were recently achieved, beating those 2014 numbers. What we still see overall support under the market because of the fundamental tightness that's still going on and because, for the most part, consumers not pushing back in a big way at the grocery store, even with these record high prices, uh, there's still plenty of demand for beef. And now as we head into the summer grilling season, I know I'll be doing my part and it doesn't look like it's going to slow down anytime soon. That is certainly good to hear. Those cattle producers have needed a win and now it's there. Joe, while we've got you, the hog industry has recently caught some attention. It, it would appear that what's developing in the hog industry today is maybe what the cattle industry saw a few years ago. Can you fill us in? That's right. Because of sow herd liquidation, we're talking about tighter margins and some producers dropping out. Disease pressure is still a big issue across the country. And so with that sow herd liquidation, what we're dealing with is an upfront rush of production that does put extra pork supply into the market, but it also flips it to so that supply likely contracts again later this summer in a way that should support prices down the road. We've seen some of that, uh, I think, reflected in the recent action for a market that is showing some signs of bottoming out. All right, lots to happen in that industry and in all the other industries that touch agriculture. We've been talking with Joe Camp, an analyst at Comstock Investments. And Joe, thanks for joining us here today. Thanks so much, Mike. Folks, stick around when AOA returns. Josh, Josh Bateke, policy editor with Farm Progress, will join us and we'll dig into what USDA has unveiled here over the past few weeks. Stay here for more AOA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel, fueled by innovation, powered to perform. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we discuss how cooperatives support farmers and ranchers and build strong communities. Each week, we'll chat with voices from across the cooperative system. From global market access to local expertise, we'll explore how co-op ownership means you own a world of opportunities. Tune in on Tuesdays or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. 
On the first Wednesday of every month, our friends from the National Corn Growers Association join us here on AOA for a segment we call The Monthly Grind. This month, we spoke with Sarah McKay about Consider Corn Challenge 4. We've had three today, and these are open innovation contests that really look to establish novel uses for corn. So you think bio-based materials, products, and technologies that can utilize corn that don't currently today. So we're really looking at placing uh, things like petrochemicals, products that can be more environmentally friendly, but also grind more corn. This year, the challenge is actually up to the prize pool to $250,000 for our Consider Corn Challenge for winners. Cool quarter of a million dollars, Sarah. That's impressive. Tell us, where can folks go to learn more about the Consider Corn Challenge? They can visit our website at ncga.com slash new uses. Feel free to, to reach out to me at mckay at ncga.com. And I'm always happy to have that conversation or come even speak to grower producer groups about the work that we're doing here at National Corn. Tune in on June 7th to the next Monthly Grind right here on AOA. Get on board. The water is open. It's time to go boating and fishing and leave stress in our wake. Feel the wind as we ride and a fish on the line. Reel in our first catch and feel the sun at our backs. It's get out on the water season. It's time to get on board. Find out where to get on board near you. Visit Take Me Fishing and Discover Boating to learn more. And please recreate responsibly. Get on board. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans, and if left untreated, can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy, and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice U.S. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Fueled by innovation, powered to perform. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. AOA continues today, and our topic now is the USDA. We've seen several initiatives come out of that group here in the past several weeks, and joining us to discuss them now is Josh Bakey. Josh serves as the policy editor with Farm Progress Publications. And Josh, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, good to be here, Mike. Let's talk about a couple of the things that USDA has unveiled, Josh, and I'd like to start with the Organic Transition Initiative. Secretary Vilsack recently had a press conference on this. Can you fill us in? What's the administration up to? Yeah, well, basically last fall, uh, USDA announced this uh, Organic Transition Initiative. It's basically a $300 million uh, multi-agency initiative to uh, basically promote and expand domestic uh, organic markets. Uh, the announcement uh, that Secretary Vilsack made yesterday at the uh, Organic Trade Association Annual Policy Conference was uh, USDA's making a $75 million in the grant funding available, uh, businesses, nonprofits, government entities, uh, basically to, to, to help uh, producers expand uh, organic production. You know, the, the funds are going to be used for, uh, you know, implementing new crops, uh, investing in infrastructure to help improve uh, production. And, and as part of that announcement, they also announced a program known as the Cost Share for Organic Certification, uh, where where the uh, USDA is, uh, will cover up to 75% of the costs, I believe, of transitioning uh, to, or getting organic certification. Uh, you know, one of the one of the uh, main areas that the uh, organic transition initiative aims to address is just the uh, the challenges producers face uh, becoming organically certified. You know, there's a time component, there's a cost component, and uh, you know, basically, you know, the idea is is looking at this as an area that uh, is underserved from the consumer side. There's a growing demand. I think they uh, their figure showed I want to say sixty something, uh, sixty seven billion uh, demand in organic products last year. They're have to grow and uh, they also see this as a way to uh to help 
uh, struggling farmers, smaller operations, uh, find other, other avenues for revenue and uh, meet consumer demand. So. It is interesting, Josh, to see this program come out because as you mentioned, that transition time period, that I think it's a three-year wait between the last chemicals you can apply to the property before you can come up with that certification. That's Correct. a pretty big economic hit. And it's that that economic hit, I suppose, that the administration's targeting here. Is that right? Yeah, they're they're basically just trying to to to, to build incentives, mo motivate uh, producers to to get on board with this transition to, to organic markets. Um, you know, and obviously they're they're trying to do it on a voluntary basis, but they're also at the same time trying to provide incentives to make uh, more more farmers and producers uh, uh, pursue that route. Josh, of course, when we get programs announced from the USDA, sometimes there's a lag between the announcement and when those dollars or that assistance might be available. Do we have a timeline for when this organic transition initiative will be able to take applications? Uh, they they start uh, taking applications, I believe, um, uh, this week, uh, going through to um, uh middle of the fall, I believe here. I don't have the exact date in front of me here, but yeah, I know. So basically taking over the next several months and then I would, I would anticipate having announcements, you know, possibly by uh, the year, end of the year. All right. And it sounds like that is done, right? This isn't something that needs to get approval. This is a program that the USDA has already rolled out, or at least next week, they'll be able to apply for it. Correct. Yeah. The, the, the money's there. Like I said, this, this uh, is, is part of the program that was uh, announced last fall, and this is just kind of the next step in their effort to, to grow the organic markets. All right. We continue to see some of those allocated funds making their way out to the growers. But of course, USDA is not just in charge of disbursement. USDA also oversees uh, a surprisingly large amount of science and research. Josh, and to that end, I understand Secretary Vilsack has recently announced some changes in how they pursue their their scientific and research ends is that right yeah they they uh, released something called their uh, science research research strategy uh this one was titled cultivating scientific uh, scientific innovation. It basically lays out uh, the, the strategy for science and research for the next three years. Uh, you know, this time they, they're kind of, you know, trying to emphasize food security, nutrition, a couple other points that are kind of the same points USDA has been hammering home for the uh, next, next, or for the past several months. So just kind of, kind of reemphasizing uh, what, what they're uh, focusing on and then kind of drive their other projects with that. And it certainly sounds as though sustainability and climate impacts are going to be one of the some of the top of the heap for the, this new initiative. Correct. And, you know, on, you know, from a political standpoint, it, it's kind of interesting timing because, as we all know, with, with uh, you know, what's going on with the debt ceiling now and farm bill negotiations, uh, there, there's been a lot of uh, pressure from from the, the, the right to, uh, you know, cut back funding for some of these programs to, you uh, uh, cut fund, back funding in general and then targeting, you know, some of these sustainable programs in particular. So it's, it's kind of interesting timing that this is with, with that in the background, USDA is still rolling out some of these announcements at this time. That is a great point. That farm bill debate is heating up. But of course, that's not the only piece of legislation that's floating around that could impact ag and the ag industry more broadly. Josh, we heard earlier this week about the Drive Act from our friends at OIDA talking about speed limiters. Can you fill us in a little in D.C.? What's the potential that uh, that the Drive Act has and what would it do, I guess? Well, basically, this this is a this is a bill introduced by uh, Congressman Josh Burkeen of Oklahoma, himself a former truck driver, and it's basically a response to uh, so some potential guidelines uh, issued by the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration a few weeks ago uh, that could potentially require vehicles over uh, twenty six thousand pounds to be equipped equipped with speed limiting devices that could that could uh, limit their maximum speed on the road and uh, you know basically from from uh the uh the government standpoint uh that that is uh that that that's a safety issue in response to the statistics they show i think more than a quarter of the crap of highway crashes occur in in uh high speed zone areas uh congressman green and, and those in support of the drive bag basically are pushing back against this. This law would uh, prohibit any any requirements for maximum speeds. They say that this is uh, a safety issue in terms of that if you had trucks going slower than the rest of the traffic, that's uh, more unsafe than having them potentially go higher speeds. They also say, you know, the the regulatory burdens on truck drivers would be too much and, and, and you know, hurt their businesses. Uh, the, the bill so far has, uh, it only had Republican co-sponsors. I uh, don't have a lot of feel for it, but just, you know, based on that alone, may have a good chance of passing the House, but without, you know, some uh, Democratic support, it, it'll, it would uh, be difficult for this to become law. And uh, so far, no, uh, no Democrats I've seen have stepped out uh, in support of this initiative. All right. 
But of course, the conversations around this are still new. Josh, we've had that speed limiter proposal floating around for a few years. It definitely sounds as though it's picking up steam. And as you mentioned, this speed limiter proposal would hit every vehicle over 26,000 pounds, which listeners, that is a lot of farm trucks there across the country, isn't it, Josh? It is. Yeah, that, that that's why... Uh... I know a number of people have come out in support of this this bill. You have the, uh, I think you had on earlier this week, the Owner Operator Independent Drivers Association. You have the Farm Bureau, uh, National Cattlemen's Beef Association, a couple of other uh, uh, trucking uh, industry advocates. But you know, interestingly, interestingly enough, uh, not all of them uh, have come out in support of this. So there's a lot of debate going on, and uh, I think it remains to be seen where this one goes. It does indeed, folks. If you are concerned about speed limiters in your vehicles, in your trucks, particularly those heavy-duty ones you need to work to earn your, earn your living, now is the time to get active. Google up speed limiter comments. You can submit these comments. You can raise awareness amongst your congressional crew that uh, you know this could have an impact on your business. Josh, it is always good to get out there and communicate with those legislators. I know you've also got uh, a story about a new portal created by the House Ag Committee to help get some more of that feedback. Can you fill us in? Yeah, basically that that was just announced this week as well. Uh, the, the House Committee on Agriculture has uh, put up an online feedback system. Uh, basically anybody can go online and uh, uh, give their farm bill priorities. They're they're kind of asking for feedback on what what producers think are good in the current farm bill. What they'd like to see changed. Uh, this feedback, I believe, is going to be taken for about the next month or so, and then um, the uh, various members of the Agriculture Committee will take the feedback and will uh, presumably discuss it at uh, one of the upcoming hearings, and then help uh, drive what goes into the farm bill. Josh, those upcoming hearings from from your perch, they're watching the action happen in D.C. As we move over the next six to eight weeks, is the debt ceiling discussion going to force the the farm bill discussion to the back page here in Congress? Yeah, I mean, that that that's the big question. They're obviously very, uh, very intertwined there. You know, the, 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 the debt ceiling uh, has some of those cunning. Uh, funding cuts spoke about earlier here and uh, you know i think before this is you know this will have to be resolved first before really anything can can proceed on the farm bill behind the scenes there's a lot of negotiations over you know uh, you know we we know spending cuts are, are going to happen most likely for anything to pass but but as far as the political side in terms of of where they are and how everybody is uh, able to save face that uh, that kind of remains to be seen that's that's the battle with the farm bill and you know pretty much everything else in washington right now that's right the political pageantry still must play out <laughs> as we get through the summer folks we've been talking with josh baby serving as the policy editor over at farm progress josh we always appreciate you taking the time to join us here on aoa thanks a lot mike always good to talk to you and folks, stick around. We heard earlier in the program, Joe Camp mentioned consumer resilience in the face of strong beef prices. Is that still there? Dr. Glenn Tonser of K-State will join us when we return. We'll talk about last month's beef demand monitor. Stay here for more AOA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel, fueled by innovation, powered to perform. I think farming picked me. I didn't pick farming. I'm not afraid to try something new. It's my farm, my family, and our future. My channel Seedsman gets that. I get access to innovative products with personalized advice backed by data to maximize my yield potential. With channel, I know I'll prosper for years to come. Define your future at channel.com slash future. Read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. Copyright 2022 Bayer Group. All rights reserved. As planting season begins across the country, the American Seed Trade Association reminds farmers to follow the basic steps for seed treatment stewardship. Follow directions on seed container labeling. Eliminate weeds in the field prior to planting. Minimize dust by using advanced seed flow lubricants. Be aware of honeybees and hives located near the field. Ensure that any spilled seeds are removed or covered by soil to protect wildlife and the environment. And remove all treated seed left in equipment. For more information, visit seed-treatment-guide.com or contact your seed dealer. You're listening to AOA for the American Egg Network. I'm Richard Risvet with this market update. This morning, all grains and oil seeds are under pressure except for soybean meal. Corn may end up trading quietly until tomorrow's WASDI numbers are revealed and traders get a look at estimates for the U.S. carryout and South American production. 
Brazil's total corn output will grow by 12% from the previous cycle, reaching a projected 126.7 million metric tons in 22-23. And ethanol production fell the past week, and production pace has been below the levels needed to meet the USDA's estimates. Argentina's Rosario Grains Exchange cut their soybean forecast for the 22-23 crop by 6.5% to 21.5 million metric tons, which compares to previous estimates of 23 million. And that's as China is continuing their efforts to stabilize their soybean imports and diversify their sources by promoting higher domestic production. Wheat is also trading lower across the board today ahead of export sales and following more rain in the forecast for drought-stricken areas in the southwest. The EU soft wheat exports in the season beginning July 1st rose 11% and has reached 26.5 million metric tons, that's as of May 7th, compared with 23.9 million the previous year. The EU's wheat crop outlook has been raised to 130 million metric tons, with stockpiles possibly ending 22-23 at an extremely high level. Spain is expected to produce less due to persistent drought. Out. And two days of useful meetings were held in Istanbul this week to discuss the extension of the Ukraine Grain Initiative. That's according to a Turkish government website. Now, we have to keep in mind that Turkey has always put a positive spin on negotiations, often overstating the chance of something good happening. The parties involved discussed the release of ships that have long been held hostage at Ukrainian ports over the past year plus of the war. They also discussed a possible 60-day extension of the grain initiative. Turkey reports that it has been agreed by parties to continue the works hosted by Turkey at a technical level in a four-way format in order for the grain initiative to continue its activities effectively in the coming period. This is AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Ristvet. 54. So, basically, it's too late to start saving for retirement, right? Not right. Starting to save, even in your 50s, can really make a difference. Well, right now, saving seems hard to wrap my head around. Plus, with the way this year's been going... <laughs> hey, listen. It's okay. You still got this. Just go to aceyourretirement.org. It's an online tool from AARP that can help you get your retirement savings on track no matter your age. It's free and only takes about three minutes. I like three minutes. Yeah. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll chat with Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. Just answer a few questions and you'll get a personalized plan and tips to help boost your retirement savings. Tips that are easy to understand and tailored to your lifestyle. I like that too. Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Just head to aceyourretirement.org and make your plan to start saving for retirement. Thanks. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. AOA continues today, and we are turning our focus to a segment of a record-setting ag industry. We're going to talk about protein. Of course, the cattle complex still trading in very high territory, leading to high prices for consumers on both pork and beef and other proteins of different types. Monitoring all of those various meat demands is the Meat Demand Monitor. This is put together by Dr. Glenn Tonser of Kansas State University in partnership with several groups. And Dr. Tonser, thank you so much for joining us here today. My pleasure, and thanks for having me on, Mike. Glenn, we always like to talk about the Meat Demand Monitor. It comes out monthly. Can you fill our audience in on how it works and what you're tracking? Yeah, this is an effort that started in February of 2020. It is a nationally representative survey. We survey over 2,000 U.S. residents every month. It is supported by the beef and the pork checkoff. All the base monthly reports, the raw data, the surveys, more intense reports, some links to things like AOA, you know, coverage and so forth can all be found on our agmanager.info website. Be sure to check that out, folks, particularly when we're in this sort of uncharted territory in our industry. Glenn, I want that to sort of set the stage here. Record prices for beef producers, certainly passing some of that on through to the consumer. How's the consumer broadly holding up? Yeah, so that's a little bit mixed bag depending on protein. So I'll give us several nuggets here and then we'll put a bow around it, Mike. But in April, demand for beef per the MDM was up compared to March. So specifically demand for ribeye steak as well as ground beef, whether you had it at home or away from home at a restaurant for your dinner meal was up compared to March. And that is a good story. Uh, most of the other categories, there's a couple exceptions, but most other categories were down in April compared to March. 
and across the board, whether we're talking beef, pork, or poultry products, or some others like plant-based and shrimp, we include in this effort, uh, in April of 23, where the demand was lower than April 22. So mixed bag would be the summary. Uh, beef had a comparatively good April compared to the other proteins. Comparatively good April. You mentioned we saw consumers' willingness to pay rising for ribeye and for ground beef. How much was that rise that the consumer was willing to pay, Glenn? Yeah. So, you know, for example, we estimate the grocery store willingness to pay for what I call the representative. So kind of the average U.S. resident uh, went from $16.94 a pound to $17.26 a pound for ribeye in the grocery store when we went from March to April. Uh, what they're willing to pay for a dinner meal that featured or had a main entree of a ribeye steak went from $27 and change per meal to over $28. So that gives you some context about the, you know, the, the boost and what they're willing to pay. Um, again, that doesn't impact everybody i'm well aware not everybody has a ribeye steak you know every night at a restaurant but that's the average for frequency around the country all right so we've got that climbing demand on the beef side glenn you also highlight the fact that we saw a drop in willingness to pay for pork chop and bacon what was going on there in the hog industry what'd you hear from consumers yeah the i mean we'll call out the pork chop is there's a challenge i would argue in the loin complex at the moment uh, and i don't want to get too far off track here i work with the national pork board on some other related efforts and there's ongoing efforts to try to boost demand for the pork chop. Um, meat science information would say the quality of the product has improved over time. And I would interject, I'm not sure all consumers are aware of that, uh, maybe because of some past experiences and so forth. So uh, the pork industry and in this space, you know, loin products and chops specifically have some more work to do. But there definitely was a pullback in demand in April compared to March for pork chop demand. And April of 23 was lower than April 22 to boot. All right. Glenn. At the end of your report, you highlight something that I think might help explain some of the findings in the Meat Demand Monitor. And uh, you note that uh, there's different economic attitudes based on what consumers are buying at the grocery store. Can you break that down for us a little bit and help explain what it is you, you mean by that? Sure. So another one of the things we track every respondent against is more than 2,000 people every month since February of 20. We ask them, do you consider your current household finances better, the same, or worse than they were a year ago? And that's a fairly broad, basic question that itself doesn't have anything to do with meat, of course, but it's been found to be a very useful kind of barometer of I'll call it financial sentiment of the household. And the first thing I want to clarify is in April of 23, there was more people saying their household finances were worse than the prior year compared to both in April 22 and April 21. So before I make it meat specific, you know, there's a growing number of folks that are worried about their household finances is the punchline. Now notice that's not everybody, but there is more people that are worried about that. What I called out in the MDM, not just that point, but how does that tie into beef and pork uh, prior day inclusion of those products in your meals is what I highlighted. And in both cases of beef and pork, if you say your finances are better than last year, your inclusion of beef and pork in your prior day meals is notably higher. Now, that is not surprising. I just think it's a very timely add-on about why some consumers, I do believe, have very strong demand or are paying more than they used to for meat products uh, voluntarily, so to speak, because they have a high capacity to pay and they like the product. And others are you know, they're tightening their financial belt, is the phrase I use. Uh, their earnings aren't keeping up with the cost of living. Both can be true in a country as large as ours. We have over 300 million people in this country, diversity of, you know, in all kinds of ways, including financial situations. And I think that's real important to keep in mind here early in 23, given the macroeconomic situation, and particularly on the beef side, given how supplies are tightening in the months ahead, um, you know, some rationing as we have less, you know, products available is going to hit different households differently. It is. And it will be interesting to watch that question going forward to see that trend of more people saying things are looking bad. If that continues, that would certainly be a red flag. Glenn, while we're talking about price, of course, you talk about meat and the various types of meat, but also vegan vegetarianism. I'm wondering any chance that these higher prices at the meat case have pushed other consumers into a vegan vegetarian type category, or is that mainly still a moral choice for consumers? Yeah, we are not seeing a change there. So specifically for your listeners, again, these survey questions, you can pull up, it's fully transparent, but we ask every person that takes this, how do you self-declare your diet? Are you a regular consumer of meat products? Are you a flexitarian? So you do consume meat, but you intentionally avoid it, you know, at least every once in a while. Are you vegan? Are you vegetarian? And then we give you an opt-out, you choose not to declare. There is no clear pattern up or down in any of those 
you know, choices since February of 20. We regularly have, you know, 68 to 74% say they're regular meat consumers, an additional 10 to 15% that say they're flexitarians. And again, those are meat consumers that is not every meal they choose not to, but there is not a, you know, an observable increase in vegan or vegetarian rates uh, throughout the entire project, much less just the you know most recent six, nine months of elevated cost of living. All right. Well, that is good news, Glenn. One of the other things you track is where people eat their protein. Are they doing it at home? Are they doing it away from home? And of course, away from home costs, I imagine, are a little bit higher. Are you seeing that same sort of economic breakdown? Are consumers choosing to dine more at home instead of away from home? Or what do you see? Yeah, the at-home rates are up a little bit compared to a year ago, but not much. Um, I, I don't think there's a lot to that story sitting here and looking at the April data. Um, some of that would be, I think folks are back on the road and that might sound at odds with gas prices being up, but um, it's just the time of year where people are out and traveling a little more and that's pulling out of their house. That makes sense, Glenn. That certainly makes some sense. We'll see if that continues to stay in place. I'm curious, what other thoughts do you have here? Is this cattle industry in particular pushes into new territory? It opens up some new ideas. There are always new ways to try and extract a few extra dollars from the retailers. What do you think producers need to keep in mind? Uh, yeah, so the cattle producer would be different than the you know the final processor here because the sure. processor gets into like product size decisions and so forth uh, beyond just genetics. Um, that a live animal segment can influence. I'm interjecting that because uh, some of the decisions to be made are long-term genetics and influencing product size. Some are short-term how we cut. Um, you know, there has been this interest in offering a smaller package in response to higher meat prices. That's the reason I'm bringing that one up is I've been talking um, in other venues about generational effects, younger generations. So for your listeners, Mike, I'm 42. So those younger than me, just for simplicity here, are more likely to consume food more than three times, so not necessarily just breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and are less interested in something like a 12-ounce steak. They're more interested in a smaller protein offering multiple times a day. Um, that speaks to convenience, value of time, you know, high eating experience that maybe isn't as price sensitive per ounce because they're buying a smaller product. Uh, I think all of that is being elevated by both the elevated meat price environment consumers are facing and the generational shift. So those younger than me every day are becoming a larger share of our high earners in this country. Um, that's really important to keep in mind, both in the near term because of the current macroeconomic and supply situation, and probably more importantly, longer term, as those younger generations become the bulk of our buyers. Is the industry, Glenn, in, in your impression, prepared to meet those, those newer buyers or buyers seeking different ways to engage with protein? Broadly speaking, yes. You know, the industry is incredibly broad. I mean, we have many, many cow-calf producers, feedlot producers, all the way to the end, you know, distributors. Some are actively positioning for that and, you know, making a 20-year business play around it. Others are trying to, you know, optimize here for 2023 and probably would ignore what, you know, Geeky Tonzer just said for the last two minutes, right? Because that's a, not as relevant if you have a shorter-term focus. Uh, those that have a longer-term focus, I think definitely have it on the radar. All right. They certainly should, given the uh, the impact of those timings. Glenn, before we let you go, what are your thoughts here as we move into the summer? Grilling season is upon us. Is, what are your feelings on the trends here for meat demand? Yeah, I, I remain concerned that at least half of the country is in a financial tough spot. Um, but I remain a little optimistic each month that goes by that maybe these spikes that we've previously experienced in inflation are behind us. Now, please note, I'm not talking about one and 2% again, so we still have inflation, but maybe the scare of high rates are behind us. So maybe a slowly more people get comfortable with the macroeconomic situation is what I'm trying to set up there for you, Mike. And if that happens, I think people still want to put a pork chop or a chicken breast or a ribeye on the grill. And I look forward to seeing that in the data in the next few months. We'll continue to keep an eye on it. And folks, you'll be able to tune in here to get that data from Dr. Glenn Tonser at Kansas State. Glenn, thank you so much for joining us today. Always appreciate your insight. Thanks for having me on, Mike. Folks, you can get that meat demand monitor info at agmanager.info right there from K-State. And stay tuned. We'll have more AOA coming up when we return. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. You are not your diagnosis. A medical chart is not your identity. And vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. 
And you are not alone. Because we are driven too. To be a beacon of strength. A champion of courage. An advocate for hope. You are not alone. Because we are stronger together. We drive the research for the cures we are finding. We're fighting macular degeneration. Retinitis pigmentosa. Usher syndrome. And the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases. We fund. We fight. We We win. We, 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 we are are the Foundation Foundation Fighting Fighting Blindness. Together, we are fighting blindness. Join the fight at fightingblindness.org. I'll take dig a little, learn a lot for 30 bushels. Soft and crumbly. Tom. How does healthy soil feel to the touch? Correct. Dig a little for 40 bushels. Sweet and earthy. Tom. What does healthy soil smell like? Yes, go again. Dig a little for 50 bushels. Dark, porous, and alive. Tom. What does healthy soil look like? You win. Understanding the basics and benefits of healthy soil can make your farm a winner, too. Through lower input costs, better yields, and drought protection, which can lead to a healthier bottom line for your business. Contact your local Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out how you can unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service and this radio station. On the first Wednesday of every month, our friends from the National Corn Growers Association join us here on AOA for a segment we call The Monthly Grind. This month, we spoke with Sarah McKay about Consider Corn Challenge 4. We've had three to date, and these are open innovation contests that really look to establish novel uses for corn. So you think bio-based materials, products, and technologies that can utilize corn that don't currently today. So we're really looking at placing uh, things like petrochemicals, products that can be more environmentally friendly, but also grind more corn. This year, the challenge is actually up to the prize pool to $250,000 for our Consider Corn Challenge for winners. Cool quarter of a million dollars, Sarah. That's impressive. Tell us, where can folks go to learn more about the Consider Corn Challenge? They can visit our website at ncga.com slash new uses. Feel free to, to reach out to me at mckay at ncga.com. And I'm always happy to have that conversation or come even speak to grower producer groups about the work that we're doing here at National Corn. Tune in on June 7th for the next Monthly Grind right here on AOA. I think farming picked me. I didn't pick farming. I'm not afraid to try something new. It's my farm, my family, and our future. My channel Seedsman gets that. I get access to innovative products with personalized advice backed by data to maximize my yield potential. With channel, I know I'll prosper for years to come. Define your future at channel.com slash future. Read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. Copyright 2022 Bayer Group. All rights reserved. At YMCA Summer Camp, Kids find their why. Friendship and fun, a world of adventure beneath a golden sun. Running, laughing, full of wonder. Being themselves is second nature. Summer camp is where they begin to unlock the confidence that lies within. When kids find new passions, they find their why. Summer camp season starts soon. Learn more at ymca.org for a better us. It's the most important race of the year. The one where winning is everything. Where the decisions you make now can and will define your entire season. The yields you're dreaming of are either won here or lost here. This is Corn Sprint 2023. You win it with Biopath, a biological fertilizer complement from the Mosaic Company. Specially formulated to make nutrients more available during the most critical uptake periods and strengthen root systems for better absorption. It's the kind of edge that gets your crops all the way to the finish line with greater yield potential, greater return on your fertilizer investment, and just plain old greatness. So win the corn sprint. Include Biopath in your early season fertilizer application. Contact your local retailer or visit cornsprint.com. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Fueled by innovation, powered to perform.
keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for making AOA a part of your day today. Looking over at Washington, D.C., of course, it's not just the USDA that's working on policy. We've got Congress consistently working to come up with new ideas, and Republicans in the House of Representatives are preparing to introduce a new bill on immigration. This is coming as immigration is in the headlines once again, midnight on Thursday, Title 42, the action put into place by the Trump administration during the COVID outbreak that allowed border control agents to just return migrants to the border without doing too much processing. That ends. And as that ends, it's expected that backlogs of immigrants should be rising. And the House Republicans are trying to use this package of legislation to force a bipartisan negotiation. As of right now, this Republican package is not expected to garner a companion set in the Senate, and it wouldn't be expected to pass there now either, nor would Joe Biden be expected to sign it. However, the sponsors of this bill do say that they hope this forces a conversation to the front of the table as immigration is going to become a much bigger topic over the coming months while the U.S. immigration system works to recover from the end of that Title 42 change. We'll continue to see how that plays out impacting labor demands across the country, but as of right now, we've got earnings season taking place. We continue to hear from companies about their quarterly earnings, also providing updates into this volatile equity market. And one of the more recent ag companies to report changes in their expected revenue is Bayer. Drug and pesticide maker from Germany, Bayer, said earlier this week that their results in 2023 are likely to come in at the lower end of their targeted range. They note that inflation and a slump in prices of glyphosate based weed killers from last year's high is nipping profitability this year. They know they were optimistic coming into this. Herbicide sales were up 44% in 2022, a combination of Hurricane Ida damaging different uh, chemical producers there across the Southeast and tightened Chinese supply that couldn't make its way out of that country to meet the demand for pesticide after Hurricane Ida meant that Bayer saw all that demand. However, they do expect that to normalize. Their CEO, Werner Baumann, is expected to uh, to resign here shortly. She's, he's coming to the end of his seven-year tenure. And of course, we've seen Bayer in the news a lot after taking over Monsanto and then seeing those glyphosate lawsuits spring up. And that has certainly created some trouble for him. Bayer does say they expect revenues from glyphosate based products to drop from about 1.7 billion euros this year to 900 million. So almost half is what they're expecting to see in declines for revenue based on glyphosate based products. Now, a lot of those products coming from China would be coming through the ports. And as we have talked with our friend Mike Steenhook and our friends at the, uh, the Grain and Feed Association, port issues remain with us. Up and down the West Coast, there has been a two-year negotiation period while dock workers and shippers try to hammer out an agreement. Uh, just about three weeks ago, we saw dock workers in Long Beach and Los Angeles call off work for a day in order to drive home the point that they take these negotiations seriously. 22,000 dock workers are covered, and it was announced by the Wall Street Journal early on Thursday that the West Coast dock workers and their employers are in the final stages of contract talks. Wall Street Journal notes that the uh, the leaders have resolved several key issues, but of course, it would have to come up for a vote. The International Longshore and Warehouse Union and the Pacific Maritime Association neither did comment to the Wall Street Journal, but shipping officials familiar with the talks said they hope this breakthrough will allow them to complete a tentative agreement by June. Now, this would put an end to that contentious period on the West Coast if they can get a deal authorized and approved by the membership could see some stability returning to the supply chain industry, which is certainly going to be well regarded by ag exporters because globally there is still a lot of disruption happening in the supply chains, particularly for grains. We've talked on AOA about the struggles of Eastern European farmers, those that border the Ukraine, who have been grappling with an influx of European grains since the invasion began. Initially, those countries were excited to help welcome the Ukrainians market those grains. They'd provide a pass through as those grains could get to port. We saw that in Poland and in Hungary, 
But what has happened on the ground is that those grains aren't making it to port. They have been uh, coming into Poland, Hungary, Slovakia, and et cetera, and instead they are bringing down local prices. The local farmers are frustrated. They have been pushing the European Union to do something about this, do something about the Ukrainian grain piling up in friendly neighboring countries. And the EU on May 2nd, just earlier this month, has set restrictions until June 5th on imports of Ukrainian wheat, maize, rapeseed, and sunflower. So we've got about a one-month reprieve. These Ukrainian crops will not be coming across the country into Bulgaria, Hungary, Poland, Romania, and Slovakia. But when June 5th rolls around, particularly if that grain export deal with Russia isn't approved, the Ukrainians will be looking for more ways to get those crops out of their country. And we'll see what the global geopolitical events can put together. It is going to be a tough slog, that's for sure. Before we go, however, we have been talking about the cattle industry. We've been talking about the potential for continued upward movement in prices. And earlier this week, when we spoke with Dan Halstrom, we learned about the strong global demand for U.S. meat. Well, a headline out of South America might be supporting that as we get deeper into the summer. Not South America, I apologize, South Korea. It was announced late last night that South Korean authorities have ordered the culling of several hundred cattle, and they are putting into place biosecurity measures because that country has confirmed cases of foot and mouth disease in farms on a central province. It didn't elaborate as to, as to how widespread the outbreak is. They do note this is the first confirmed outbreak since January of 2019. And this current contagion is, I should say, isolated on three farms just south of the capital of Seoul. The agriculture minister of South Korea notes that, quote, related in agencies and government and local governments are asked to make all out efforts on preventative maintenance to stop further spread of foot and mouth disease. We'll see if that could encourage more South Koreans to buy U.S. meat as we get into the summer. Folks, thanks for listening to AOA. Tune in tomorrow. We'll talk more issues that could move the ag industry. We'll see you then. Have a great day, everybody. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. Welcome to the 2023 Corn Sprint. Please be silent as the runners take their marks. And looks like one plant has already pulled into an early lead because it's been enhanced with Biopath, a biological fertilizer complement from the Mosaic Company. Wait, wait, and the early favorite has crossed the finish line. Get the most out of your fertilizer investment. Don't forget to add Biopath to your early season application. Talk to your retailer about Mosaic Biologicals today or visit cornsprint.com. As planting season begins across the country, the American Seed Trade Association reminds farmers to follow the basic steps for seed treatment stewardship. Follow directions on seed container labeling. Eliminate weeds in the field prior to planting. Minimize dust by using advanced seed flow lubricants. Be aware of honeybees and hives located near the field. Ensure that any spilled seeds are removed or covered by soil to protect wildlife and the environment. And remove all treated seed left in equipment. For more information, visit seed-treatment-guide.com or contact your seed dealer. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end, but good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating, your kidneys could keep filtering, and your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor, restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration.